Uh, we're going to get into the Word this morning, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one in the chair rack below you, and you can also turn to Luke chapter 6 or click over in your phone or your device or however you access God's Word. If you are going to a chair rack Bible, um, Luke chapter 6 should be about page 861. That's where you'll find it. For those of you at home, sorry we don't have chair rack Bibles for you, but... Uh, Hopefully, you've got a copy of God's Word there for you as well. The television show Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Everybody, some of you remember that? Remember Extreme Makeover Home Edition? Ty Pennington and his crew go in and, and do over these homes. Extreme Makeover Home Edition which I think has been off the air since 2012, believe it or not. It, was a, it, was a, it doesn't seem that long ago. Uh, was a reality show that in the midst of a time where most reality shows were dating and drama and maybe not family appropriate, you know, in comes Extreme Makeover Home Edition where they bring in these families, they, they vet these families, they have these deserving families, and they bring them in and they make over their house, they build them a house, they give them a whole new house, and, you know, they tell their story, and if you don't start choking up by the end of that episode or have a tear in the corner of your eye, I think you just have a heart of stone because I was, I mean, for me, by the time they said move that bus, I mean... You just like, oh my goodness, look what they did. And they have these incredible stories that they would tell. And it was always this beautiful ending. But that wasn't always the ending for these families. What we came to find out years later is as they tracked these families later and they look back on what happened with these houses, that actually there were some pretty sad stories that ended up coming about that what was a huge blessing for this family ended up uh, many times, for many of these families, they ended up filing for bankruptcy on their house. Uh, India Dickinson uh, and her family were given a beautiful 4,000 square foot home, but were barely making ends meet before the show and then couldn't hang on to the house very long after the show. Victor Marrero sold his makeover home because his utility bills had soared to between $700 and $1,200 a month, and he couldn't afford them. Uh, in 2005, the Harvey family was given a spacious 4,200-square-foot house, but the bank auctioned it off six years later. So these stories that were supposed to be blessings didn't turn out that way. Higher tax bills, problems with refinancing when your house is the biggest in the neighborhood, not being able to afford new technology that needs to be maintained and updated, higher utility bills, and the reality is that what was a blessing turned into a burden for these families. And have you ever had that happen to you? Well, maybe no one gave you a house, right? Okay, that's... Maybe somebody did. That's awesome if somebody did. But maybe no one gave you a house. Maybe no one redid your house. But you, have you ever had something that someone meant as a blessing turn into a burden? You know, there's one comedian that talks about, you know, when someone gives them clothes and they give them a gift receipt with it, right? And they, and they end up not fitting. He's, he's like, you just gave me an errand. Like, this wasn't a gift. This is, this is, this is not a blessing. This is a burden. 
You know, it's, it's sometimes what happens. It's the bagel sandwich that someone brings to you at work as a surprise when you already ate breakfast, but you feel like you have to eat it anyways. <laughs> now, it's the blessing that all of a sudden becomes a burden. And it's exactly what happens in the passage we're going to look at this morning. That something that was supposed to be a blessing had somehow become a burden. And that something is called Sabbath. If you've ever read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, the stories of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you have no doubtably come across these conflicts and confrontations that happen between Jesus and religious leaders. And many of them surround the idea of Sabbath. Many of them surround this concept of, of the Sabbath. All four Gospels uh, writers include instances where this becomes the confrontation and the conflict. And maybe you've read that and wondered, what is the big deal? Why is this becoming such a big deal for Jesus and these religious leaders? So in order to get to that, we have to understand a little bit about what Sabbath is. And maybe you're familiar with that, but just in case you're not, let me take a minute to, to talk about that. And where did it come from? To do that, you've actually got to go way back in Scripture to Exodus. Exodus is the account of God bringing his people, the Israelites, exiting out of Egypt. They were in Egypt as uh, 400 years and for a large majority of that really operating as a, a slave force for the Egyptians. And the Exodus is the account of God's miraculous the devastating deliverance of his people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and bringing them out and delivering them out of that. And once he did, he was going to bring them into a new land that would be theirs. But on the way, he formed a covenant with them, a covenant, an agreement that this is who you are. I've delivered you out. You're my people. I'm your God. And every covenant has blessings and stipulations. And so the covenant he formed at Mount Sinai, we know it as what we call the Ten Commandments. But the Ten Commandments found in Exodus are really a covenant, an agreement between God and his people. Here's your part. Here's my part. Here's what you do. Here's what I do. Here's, it was a covenant. It was an agreement. The fourth of those Ten Commandments is a commandment around the Sabbath. And it was really a gift. It was a blessing. Because the Sabbath said that you get to rest every seven days for a full day. You work six days, but on the seventh day, it's a day of rest to the Lord. Now, I say it's a gift because remember where they were coming out of. 400 years of slavery. I'm guessing Pharaoh didn't give them many days off. There probably weren't a lot of paid holidays and benefits. So God comes out and he says, look, you're my people. Every seventh day you rest from your work. Every seventh day you get a break. And the reason for this is to remember that God, he's the creator. He's also your deliverer. He's the one that's done the work. It's not really about your strength. It's really about God. So the seventh day for them, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, the seventh day of the week, uh, was that day, was that Sabbath. And I, I look at it, and it was really purposeful rest is what was prescribed. And I would define purposeful rest as two things. One, pulling back from productivity. 
and two, pressing in to God. It was an opportunity for worship, opportunity to to gather together with believers, opportunity to to hear from God's word. And and so it it was purposeful rest that involved pulling back from productivity and pressing into God. But it was meant to be a blessing. So if it's such a gift and it's from God, then why all the controversy? Why is Jesus always getting into it with the religious leaders over this thing called Sabbath? Why is it such a major point of conflict? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 6 before we answer that question, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to see two different accounts of Jesus getting into conflicts with the religious leaders of the time over this idea of Sabbath, what was supposed to be a gift. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them together in their hands, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life? or to destroy it. And after looking around at them, all he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Two stories, two accounts of Jesus getting into conflicts on the Sabbath. In the first story, Jesus' disciples are going and doing what is lawful, but is not allowed on the Sabbath. Not allowed, not because God doesn't allow it, but because the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, had created rules around the Sabbath and didn't allow it. So they were walking through, and they were hungry, so they were picking off the ends of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and then eating them. Um, you might walk down a path and pick blueberries and eat them along the way or, or something like that. And that's all they were doing. But the Pharisees and the religious leaders, by the time Jesus' day had come about, this idea of Sabbath, this gift, had fallen into quite a bit of uh, controversy in, in, in this sense. You're supposed to pull back from work. Well, how do you define what work is? So somebody has to define work. So the religious leaders took it upon themselves to define work. 
and they broke it up into 39 different categories. And under those 39 different categories, there were points and subpoints and subpoints of subpoints of what you could do and what you couldn't do on this day that was a gift from God for rest. And one of the things you couldn't do was harvest. And so picking up grain and rubbing it in your hands was one of the subpoints that defined that as harvesting. And so they had this rule around it. But Jesus said, haven't you read what David did? And he points to this time where David, when his men were hungry, he was, they were able to eat bread that was normally reserved for the priest. And in doing so, they technically broke a rule. And yet, all these religious leaders would agree that it was right to do so because they were hungry. Jesus said, this is what my disciples are doing. In the second story, the Pharisees are watching to see if Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. It's interesting. They're watching. They're waiting just to judge and see what he would do. This would be Jesus working and technically a violation of the Sabbath laws, rules. Jesus, knowing they are watching, stares right back at them and heals a man's hand. The Pharisees are furious and start to discuss what they might do to Jesus. But why the conflict over this gift of rest? Why the conflict over this day off? I mean, what's the problem here? Most of us wouldn't get upset when someone gives us a day off from work. But these guys have these rules that they believe are being broken, and you, this is the way you take a proper day off from work. I think the reason for the conflict involves a tension, and it's a tension that they felt, and it's a tension I think that we felt. And here's the tension. The tension comes from that between being good and doing good. I think the tension that's felt between the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and Jesus is this tension between being good and doing good. So let's talk about those two things for, for a couple minutes. Because first of all, it is good to be good. That sounds like a simple statement, right? It's good to be good. And what I mean by that is this. This is what the Pharisees were all concerned about. Look, if you're going to follow God, you've got to be good. If you're going to follow, there's certain ways to live. There's certain commands that he gives to obey. There's certain ways to, to live your life. You've got to be good if you're going to follow God. This is what the Pharisees were all concerned about. And there's truth in that. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, he has called you to a certain way of life, a way of life that may be peculiar to people around you, a way of life that is different from a world around you that says there's no God, that doesn't serve God, that doesn't believe in a God, that lives for themselves or for some other thing. You're going to look differently. So you're called to be good. You're called to live a life a certain way. You're called to die to yourself. There'll be certain values of the world around you that you won't be able to adopt and embrace. And that's what these Pharisees were all concerned about. Be good. It's good to be good. So they really focused in on the commandment in Exodus. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's a command that God had given 
And so these Pharisees were all about, hey, we need to keep this. You need to be good. And it's true that you and I are called to be good in that way. As followers of Jesus, we're always moving toward holiness. We're always moving towards being like God. God is good, and so we're to be like him. But there's another thing we're to do as followers of Jesus, and here's where the tension comes in. It's not only good to be good, it's good to do good. It's good to do good. Now, you might <clears throat> hear me say that statement, and you think, well, that's, that's a very popular statement right now. It's good to do good. I mean, that could be the slogan for almost any, you know, brand right now that's trying to gain some, you know, loyalty or gain some goodwill from people around. Do good, right? That's, that's, there's, no, there's no harm in that statement, right? Everyone can say that, and we can all agree with it, and it sounds like something, you know, even from a very secular context. But I'm taking it exactly from Jesus' words in verse 9 of Luke chapter 6. Jesus asked the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? And his obvious rhetorical answer he's expecting is do good. Even on the Sabbath where you are called to be good, you cannot ignore that you are also supposed to do good. But that's exactly what was going on in this situation is they were ignoring this idea that you could also do good on the Sabbath. Now you might ask, well, how do we define do good? You know, what, what would that look like? I think the, to do good, the best way that Jesus would define it is if you went back to Luke chapter 4, and you went back to Jesus' original mission statement of what he came to do. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is, I think, saying this is what it is to do good. And even on the Sabbath day, when you are focused on being good, if you have the opportunity to do these things, you ought to do good. See, you get caught up in our rules, in the rules that were surrounding the rules. See, the Pharisees had put fences around the fences. And they said, you know, don't go over here, so we're going to put a fence around the fence, and then maybe a fence around that. And it happens still today. We were in our, um, talking about this message in our, in our preaching meeting, and one of the guys uh, on our team, Justin Joseph, said he, he had an instance that came up with him one day when he was in New York City. And he was walking down the street, and, and a gentleman came up to him and said, could you, could you come with me? And, uh, and he said, sure. He was obviously, Justin said, you could tell he was an Orthodox Jewish person. It's, uh, if you've, uh, you can, uh, the way they're dressed and his hair and everything showed that that's what it was. And Justin, you know, said, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. You know, I can help whatever you need if you need some, some help. So he actually walked back to the gentleman's apartment. I think he said it was about a, about a quarter of a mile. Walked back to the gentleman's apartment. Walked up to, you know, the apartment where this gentleman's family was sitting at a table. And he asked Justin, he said, can you plug in our refrigerator? 
And Justin said, sure, I can plug in your refrigerator. He said, because we can't do it because that would be work on the Sabbath. And the refrigerator had come unplugged, and so they couldn't plug it back in. And so Justin went, plugged it in, and then left. And so this gentleman walked at least a half a mile, a quarter of a mile each way, found someone, tracked him down, brought them up, and got him back up there and got his refrigerator plugged in so that he might keep the Sabbath. And this, this is the rules. And, and as, as strange as that sounds, I bet we have rules. I bet you have rules. That in your life, sometimes start taking the place of what God would have you to do and would, might keep you even from doing good. That our focus on being good might keep us from doing good. And that brings us to this is where the tension is. It's not good when being good stops you from doing good. And here's the tension that Jesus was trying to bring up. You have all these rules about being good, good and great, that's fine. But when the being good keeps you from doing good, that that's not good. And that's exactly where Jesus and what Jesus is pointing out in this situation. It's kind of like this, if you're a parent. Maybe you're a parent, or you can imagine being a parent of a couple of kids, or uh, maybe you grew up in a family, you had a couple of kids. And the older one, is just acting up. I mean, he's just, he just is insufferable. You try and, you know, get him to, he's just into everything. And finally, you're like, I can't take it anymore. Go sit down in the timeout. Go and sit there. And you sit in that chair. And maybe you've said these words. Maybe you've heard these words. You sit there and be good. We sit there, right? You got to sit there until I come back and be good. Okay, so you leave the room, and, and, and your, your kid's sitting there, and all of a sudden his younger sister comes in, and she's walking through the room, and she's maybe got a tray full of food, and she's walking, and all of a sudden she trips, and all the food falls on the floor, and she starts crying. Now, the moment of truth, because the older brother is sitting here to be good. And those of you who are parents of more than one child know that there's a couple different ways this can go. One way it's going to go is that kid is just going to sit there because he was told to sit there and be good. And he's going to watch his sister pick that food up and he's not going to do anything. And when someone, if someone comes in and says, why didn't you help her? His answer is, I was being good, sitting in the chair. Now, what you'd hope would happen is that he would say, you know, my little sister's on the floor crying in need. In our family, we care for each other. We love each other. I know that my mom and dad would probably be okay with me getting up off this chair if I told them it was going, I was doing it to help my sister, doing it to help her need, to show, you know, care for her, to love her. And then I get back in my chair. That's probably what we'd want to happen. But it doesn't always happen that way. But I actually think this is exactly what's going on with Jesus and the Pharisees. They're like, hey, God told us to just sit here. And we're just going to sit here. And we will make all these rules around this day. And we will sit here and God will be happy with us. Until God himself walks in the room. 
and sees a man who's got a withered hand and sees these religious leaders who would rather have that man lived with a withered hand for another day than break their being good rules and he see him healed on this day. And Jesus, to make a point, looks around at all of them and heals that man's hand to say, stop making the blessings of God into burdens. Stop putting your policies over people. Stop putting your rules over relationship. Stop allowing what you're trying to be good, keeping you from doing the good that God would have you to do today in front of you. And this is the controversy around the Sabbath. That it had become, it had moved from something that was a blessing to something that became a burden. And you and I are called to live in this tension. And you have these tensions. It's a tension between, yes, called to be good, to, to, to love God, and you've, got, and you've got things in your life and rules in your life to do that, and then called to do good and do both. And, what, and sometimes the, the problem comes in, and it came in for the Pharisees, is when you stop seeing this as a tension to be managed and you start seeing it as a problem to be solved. And so the Pharisees solved the problem easily. They said, you know what? We're just going to do nothing. And we're going to do nothing. And then that solves the problem. We don't have to worry. We don't have to wonder about what the, we don't have to deal with that tension anymore. But in doing so, they kept themselves from helping people around them and doing what God would want them to do. Happens, we have these tensions. We have these situations that we have to think through all the time. I think about the school that we have that meets in this building during the week. And we have, a, we have an, an awesome school here that welcome, you know, some of you that just are here on Sundays, you don't realize that during the week there's 300 kids running through these hallways and, and as a part of these classrooms and everything. And it's a great, from toddlers right up to grade five. But we had a choice when we started the school and it created a tension. And here's the choice. Is it going to be a school just for Christians or will it be a school where we'll invite families in who aren't necessarily Christian? And we could easily say, you know what? We're going to make it a problem to be solved. We're going to say, you've got to be Christian. You've got to act like Christian. You've got to be Christian. And if you don't, you're not coming to the school. You're not welcome to the school. And some schools take that approach. And that's their, that's their thing. But for us, we said, you know what? What we're going to do is we're going to have a school here, but we are going to welcome people in who aren't necessarily Christian. We're going to take their kids, bring them in, and we are going to be unashamedly, unabashedly Christian in our curriculum, in our focus. We'll have chapels several times a year. Each child is given the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel, to, to learn to pray, to read the Bible. And ultimately, the way I put it, is we're going to have it so parents actually pay us to disciple their kids, which is a pretty neat arrangement when you think about it. I, mean, I hear pastors all the time saying, how can I get people in to hear the gospel? I said, I don't know. People are paying us to come and hear the gospel. And, and, but it's a tension. We said, we're going to live with this tension. And sometimes it creates messes. And sometimes it complicates things. And sometimes it, it creates a difficult situation. But we said, you know what? This is a tension we're going to manage so that we can be good in our focus and our mission and who we are. And so that we can do good by sharing the hope and the message of Jesus Christ with those who are a part of the ministry. That's just one example. There's all kinds of examples of places where we have to be careful that our being good doesn't get in the way of our doing good. 
one person in our, in our meeting brought up the, uh, a woman that he knew that she was an older woman. Uh, in fact, she was a grandmother at the time. And she, there was this younger woman from the church had asked her to disciple her. He approached her and said, you know, would you, would you disciple me? Would you lead me? Would you walk me through the scriptures? And I think that's always awesome to have those things paired up. Someone who's walked in the faith a longer time with someone who's new. And, and the, this grandmother said she struggled with it because she knew that the younger woman had had an abortion at one point and she was so pro-life and so uh, into this that somehow something inside her caused her to hesitate at such an invitation. And it's a time like that where you realize, okay, our being good <clears throat> is really getting in the way of our doing good. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful in these things that I, I think Jesus would look and he'd say, you're, 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 you're missing the point. You're missing God's blessing. You've turned blessings into burdens and you've elevated policies over people and you're missing it. So it's good when you are good and do good. And let me just finish as I, with this. It's good when you are good and you do good. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Because some of you might hear this and say, finally, this is it. <clears throat> I'm just called the do good and I can throw everything else out the window. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus didn't come in here and say, forget the Sabbath. You don't have to observe the Sabbath. Get out of that chair. You don't ever have to go sit in that. That's not what Jesus said. Just like in the previous passage, Jesus didn't throw fasting out the window either. No, no, no. That's not what he's doing. He's not, he's not saying, you know, just do what you feel like doing and forget about all the doctrine and beliefs and loving God. No, 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 no. Do both. Be good and do good. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Be good and do good. And will we be able to do this? Will we be able to do this? You know, I don't know where you are on this. Maybe you hear a message like this and you say, you know what? Yeah, I've got a lot of rules in my life and sometimes it keeps me from maybe doing what God would have me to do or, or, or I've turned blessings into burdens somehow. And maybe God just wants you to, to be free this morning in Christ, to look around, to serve, to see the good around you that God would call you to do, that God would call you, have put right beside you that you need to get past some of your fears, you need to get past some of, some of your uh, things, not, not the godly boundaries, but the boundaries you've put around the boundaries to keep you away or distance between you and maybe people who need Christ and maybe people who need you and God's calling on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm. It's, you know, and everyone's pro everyone processes this in their own in their own particular way. And you have to think about, think through what it means in your life and what the Holy Spirit means in your life. I remember one time when I was trying to be better at observing the Sabbath and, and I said, you know, I, one of the 
problems with me and, and resting and, and being open. I think Sabbath is purposeful rest. It's creating space for God and for God to work. I, I like home projects, so I like doing things around the home. And, and, but I realize that sometimes that takes my attention away from other people and other needs, and I can get so into a project that I miss something around me. And so I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not so good at this all the time, but I try and say, you know what, I'm not going to do a home project unless I'm doing it with somebody, or I'll go do a home project on someone else's home, because that would be doing good. That would be helping a person in need. And so it's, it's a fact that, you know, you think about how you live this out and how, how you follow God and where rules might be in your life that you need to get over. We, we're in a time right now, where we've been following a lot of rules. And it's created some tension in the midst of us. It's created some tension between those of us who follow Christ. And I think the next few weeks are gonna be interesting. I think the next few weeks are gonna require a lot of grace and a lot of love and a lot of understanding. And everyone around us, we're, we're trying to be good, we're trying to do good, we're trying to love God, we're trying to love others. And let's, as a church, I think it's gonna take, you know, it's been a year, 18, 14 months. Things have been different for a while. To have things kind of change kind of quickly. There's all, everyone's, what we've learned this past year is everyone is all over the map on everything. All I know is we'll pretty much disappoint everyone with whatever we do. That's all I've, that's all, that's all I've come to terms with. No matter what decision we make, we'll pretty much disappoint everyone. You didn't go far enough. You went too far. You didn't go fast enough. You went too fast. You didn't think about the, I, I know. But let's have grace. For one another. Next week we'll come and it's going to look different and some people it's going to be hard and, it, and there'll be people in masks and there'll be people who are going to choose to wear them for a while and there are going to be people who won't have masks and, and, and we need to be gracious and loving towards one another um, and stay and maintain unity. These Pharisees, I, I don't think I'm stretching the application of this passage these Pharisees had created all these ways to judge the people around, all the external things that they could put in place that allowed them to judge people around them and put people in a category and pigeonhole people and, oh, you must be this because of this and you must be that and you don't really love God. And we get into the same things. Instead of being good and doing good and loving one another. So let's give each other a lot of grace over the next several weeks as we make this transition, as we come back together as a church, what that means and how that is and where people are ready and where people, you've done really great to this point. I know there's been a little bit of, you know, it's hesitant, do I, shake? are we shaking? Are we not? Are we elbows? Are we, I know there's been all kinds of, but you've been really good. We've been great. We're, and now we need to take the next step to come together and to love each other and to be the people who God called us to be. Lord, God, I thank you for your church, the called out ones, the ones who have been called to follow you and to follow Christ, the ones who have committed to follow you. Your church throughout history, your church throughout the world, 
Lord, thank you. The church is your bride. It doesn't belong to anybody but Christ. And so, Lord, let us be very careful. I think about these Pharisees and how quick they were to judge their brothers and their sisters, how quick they were to judge the Son of God himself. Lord, let us be and remember that it's your church, that each one stands before his own master. He stands and is judged. And so, Lord, help us to be gracious and loving. And Lord, help us to look at our lives, to understand the places where we need to be good, where maybe we've bought a little too much into the world around us and we need to remember that we are the called out ones. Maybe those places where we need to remember that we are called to do good, to not ignore the needs around us, to not ignore our neighbor in need around us. Lord, lead us. Help us to be your church, your bride, to love you and to love one another. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand as we sing this song, closing song of worship together.